Welcome to the IFE podcast series. Today's podcast is an IFE Grand Challenge lecture and features Marek Kowalkowicz, Professor and Chair in Digital Economy and leader of IFE's Embracing the Digital Age research theme. Professor Marek Kowalkowicz is an academic and industry leader with extensive experience in conducting academically sound research, co-innovating with industry and university partners, and delivering innovative products to the market. As Professor and Chair in Digital Economy, as well as leader of IFE's Embracing the Digital Age research theme, he leads QUT's research agenda to inform and influence a robust digital economy in Australia and the region. His lecture, recorded on Friday the 1st of March, is entitled Agents of Change, the Economy of Algorithms. We hope you enjoy this Ivy Grand Challenge lecture. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate your time. Uh, it happened almost exactly one year ago. I received an email from a student who asked me for some advice. I replied to the student saying that I'm happy to meet. Uh, there's a particular time uh, when we could do it. And I asked uh, um, Amy that I work with uh, to help schedule uh, this uh, meeting. Uh, Amy followed up uh, a few uh, uh, minutes later and said, happy to schedule this meeting with you, gave me a few more details. Uh, and then uh, I uh, received uh, uh, or saw another email that Amy sent to Matthew, that student who wanted to uh, meet, with, uh, meet with me. That was uh, about 10 minutes later after I asked Amy to schedule that. Uh, she suggested uh, Wednesday, February 28th for that meeting. Uh, when I saw that, I, I sent another email to Amy. It was again a few minutes later asking her to keep my Wednesday, 28th of February, free of meetings. I just like to keep my Wednesdays free of meetings. Uh, so uh, Amy politely uh, followed up with Matthew just a few minutes later saying, look, uh, there's an update. Marek's availability is slightly different. There's a slot on a Tuesday, March the 6th. Uh, and um, Matthew, and also she suggested that you know, there's a Wednesday as well. Well, Matthew again went for, for Wednesday. This time I said, OK, you know, we're going to, uh, to, uh, to meet uh, on Wednesday. So Amy said, all right, that's fine. You know, I'll, go I'll go ahead and send that invite for the Wednesday meeting. Uh, Amy is absolutely fantastic, uh, but also Amy is not a human. She is not human. Amy is an algorithm. There's an Andrew as well, if you prefer an Andrew to organize meetings for you. Uh, and I've been uh, working with both Amy and Andrew for a while now. Uh, Amy receives $8 uh, a month from me and passes on those $8 to the creators of Amy. The creators of Amy and Andrew can spawn multiple dozens and hundreds and thousands of instances of Amy and Andrew and make money by having those algorithmic employees. This is the world we live in right now, the world in which we work not only with organizations and individuals, but we can also create algorithmic employees. We can create and hire algorithms uh, that, uh, that uh, other uh, provide or create. There's a background to this development, uh, and we've uh, done this piece of research almost uh, 
four years ago, or just slightly, in fact, it was my team that did uh, uh, this research, the chair in digital economy here at QUT, uh, just before I, uh, or had done this research just before I joined QUT. So I, I can only claim part of the credit for, for the work. The two, box, uh, two boxes on the left uh, were describing the emerging uh, age of digitalization, the move from age of automation or economy of corporations to age of digitalization or economy of people. Uh, for the past few years, we've been exploring emergence of a completely new age uh, that uh, we call the economy of algorithms or age of augmentation, where uh, humans, organizations, and algorithms augment and work in, uh, in one space. Today, I'm not going to go into the details of what's in those boxes, but I highly recommend that you follow up uh, with some reading on, on the details of, of this work. So in the presentation, I'm occasionally uh, providing links to additional reading materials or podcasts or videos. Feel free to snap photos uh, of those, or uh, if you have any questions, even ask me on Twitter, and I'll be uh, able to quickly follow up with that. So. Amy and Andrew are one example that I wanted to talk about, but I also wanted to talk about Fillet of Fish 1066, a uh, Reddit user who, in 2016, on um, a Reddit group called Computer Science Career Questions, uh, posted a, a message saying that um, he was fired. He was finally fired after six years of doing nothing at work. His salary was uh, around $90,000 per year. Uh, so six years of receiving $90,000 per year uh, doing nothing. To be more precise, he spent the first few months, about four or five months at work, automating all of his activities. Fillet of fish, we don't know his name. Uh, the original uh, message has uh, been deleted by now. The uh, uh, Reddit user is deleted by now, so it's extremely hard to track this particular person, and maybe that's okay. Um, Pillar of Fish uh, was working as a uh, quality assurance uh, person in a software development firm, so basically testing software for any bugs. That person, we don't know whether it's a he or she, that person uh, automated all of the testing tasks over the six months and then played League of Legends, uh, enjoyed uh, browsing Reddit and doing whatever uh, they, they felt like. Uh, done maybe 50 hours of real work, so basically nothing. When the employer of uh, Philado Fish uh, 1066 found out about this situation, they fired him. And I claim that this is possibly one of the worst HR management decisions ever. Whenever you're an employer and you find out that some of your employees are smart enough to automate the tasks that they're performing, talk to them, promote them, work with them on automating as many tasks in your organizations as possible. That's a beautiful situation in which you can maintain the people, the numbers of people that you have in your organization, and at the same time, you can increase the outputs of this organization. Some of us already live in this economy. Um, I believe developers uh, and people in the software industries uh, were the first ones to, uh, to experience this space. Uh, and I would claim that uh, uh, the more you see of foosball tables and ping pong tables and sleeping pods in offices, this is a proxy 
of how good those employees might be at automating their tasks. Because, you know, the moment they automate their tasks, they need to do something with their time. This is when you need foosball tables, ping pong tables, uh, sleeping pots, and so on and so on. Uh, so that's a beautiful example of the, the XKCD comic um, uh, about developers spending the time playing while their code is compiling. This is actually an interesting situation. I'm saying it as someone who, uh, who led a number of development teams where you really want those developers to be around just in case something goes wrong. But at the same time, you, know, you don't need to give them any additional tasks. So that's an actual scenario that I would often see uh, in my past life uh, at, at SAP working with developers. And we were absolutely fine with it. Now, when we talk about automation, and sometimes people throw in uh, topics like uh, AI, machine learning, robotics, and so on, uh, we have all sorts of those clickbait uh, articles right, in the news, and I'm sure you, you've, you've seen many of them. You know, a third of our jobs is going to be uh, destroyed by, by automation. Uh, algorithms can be racist. Hey, here's why, uh, why Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is right. Uh, protecting against AI's existential threat, how to stop computers being biased, and so on and so on. This is absolutely true. Uh, what is happening uh, in that economy of algorithms that we already live in sometimes is very concerning. Now, this is not the topic of my lecture and I pres my presentation. I recognize uh, that, uh, that this is a very important topic that we need to look into, and I highly recommend uh, a number of books that you could start with. I particularly love those two books, Weapons of Math Destructions and Algorithms of Oppressions, that go deeper into the challenges of the, of the world that we might be living in. On the way here, I was actually thinking a bit, a bit about it, you know, when we talk about the fact that algorithms are biased. Well, you know what? Yes, they are. Show me anything that a human has created. It doesn't have to be an algorithm. It could be a chair, a car, and I will show you how it is biased toward a particular group of people against a particular other group of people. This is what happens when humans create things. So this is not unusual for us, and I'm not trying to dismiss it. I'm just saying, you know, it's a world that we live in that we need to continuously uh, think about. Uh, and uh, yes, we're sometimes uh, guilty of uh, those clickbait titles as well, even for those wonderful uh, innovations that we have here at QUT. The, the news like to talk about killer robots, right? And unleashing killer robots on Great Barrier Reef. But really what's happening there, um, and um, that's the one in the upper left, uh, this is what we should be seeing. Watch how the reef protector robot becomes mother to millions of, of baby corals, or how a, uh, my particular favorite, and, and I would have loved it uh, when I was a student, how a machine learning algorithm can take all of the leftovers that you have in your fridge and create recipes for, for, uh, for new foods, a Christmas menu driven up by a robot. Um, or how we prevent eye disease, or save Australian swimmers, or predict erratic flight paths, or uh, help people give more to charity. It's really the perspective that we take on some of the, uh, some of the challenges that we're, or some of the opportunities that we're seeing uh, in uh, that uh, age of the algorithms. And I 
prefer to stay on this side uh, when, I, when I discuss those, and especially uh, today with you, and I prefer to talk about how humanity grows into, uh, into the next level, the Life 3.0 by Max Tegmark, a fantastic academic exploring the future of humanity. Uh, I like to think how uh, algorithms and automation can change the way organizations work, as you could read in the Mathematical Corporation, and I like to see how we can harness the digital future in a very, very powerful and positive way, the way McAfee and Brynjolfsson uh, write about in, in Machine uh, Platform Crowd. So this is the, the world I'm going to talk about uh, today. If you, if you want to hear me talk about challenges uh, of this world, yeah, that's going to happen at QUT as well. In about two weeks, we're going to have a Night Nomads panel talking about that, about the ethics of, of AI, but not today. Uh, today, I wanted to tell you a bit more about what I believe are the three main components of the economy of algorithms. And I thought, you know, every presentation should have something that looks a bit like one of those um, riddles that you often get on Facebook. You know, a shoe plus a car equals 50. You know, two cars plus two shoes equals 25. That's not one of those, right? Uh, so don't try to find out uh, how I calculated this. Uh, uh, but through this image, I'm trying to say that the economy of algorithms is basically enabled by a confluence of, of three major areas of development. That's the Internet of Things, that's what's on the left. That's the algorithms that are becoming autonomous, almost human-like. That algorithm or that process in the middle is supposed to look a bit like a smiley face. And then that's the emergence of business models. IoT and autonomous algorithms and an emergence of new business models give rise to the economy of algorithms. And this equation is wrong, and I'll explain it uh, toward the end of the presentation. But let's start with the um, Internet of Things. So what we're seeing, and, and thanks, Kerry, for, uh, for bringing it up, uh, we're seeing a world in which we can talk about uh, a hierarchy of algorithms. That's what I say every day when I leave my home, right? So Alexa is the boss. Uh, Roomba is, uh, is one that follows the orders of the boss. Um, in fact, uh, I could uh, tell Alexa to schedule that, that Roomba cleaning um, uh, automatically every day. I just, you know, I prefer, I really like to, um, to be able to say, hey, Alexa, tell Roomba to start cleaning. Uh, but my, my home is full of all sorts of other devices, and I'll mention a few, uh, few of them uh, throughout the presentation. Uh, now one thing that happened uh, today in the morning that was absolutely terrible, terrible, and I, I hope you um, connect with me in pain on this one. Um, I woke up, went to my kitchen, and found there were no coffee pods in my coffee machine. A very smart coffee machine an internet-connected coffee machine, a coffee machine that shows me how many uh, pods there are, a coffee machine that has an, an iPhone app uh, that, so that I can start it even when I'm uh, in, my, uh, in my bedroom. That coffee machine is not smart enough to tell me that I'm about to run out of coffee pods. How ridiculous it is. That coffee machine is not smart enough to connect to the retailer that I often buy online coffee pots from, 
and just send the order on my behalf, right? That's what I thought in the morning, right? Then I found a couple, uh, couple of coffee pods. I was very happy. I continued with my day. Um, but this world uh, is full of robots that are still trying to find uh, robots and algorithms. By the way, when I say robots, algorithms, or chatbots, and so on, I, for the purpose of this presentation, will treat them as, as one category. Robots are basically devices that are controlled by algorithms. Chatbots are a specific version of an algorithm that interacts with, with humans. So when I say economy of algorithms, I also mean algorithms that are embedded in various devices. So when Alexa tells my Roomba to start cleaning the house, uh, Roomba does that. And, and while it's doing that, uh, it's exploring all sorts of other possibilities. For instance, here's a screenshot of, uh, uh, of the map that uh, Roomba created. It has a small camera on top, that, uh, uh, that, uh, that vacuum cleaner, which often makes me a bit uncomfortable. Um, you can imagine there are situations where the vacuum cleaner enters the room. You don't want it to be there. Uh, it, uh, it has a small camera uh, on top of it, and it creates a map of my house every time uh, it goes around. So that's my house. Um, it also creates a map of Wi-Fi access in my house, just because it can. It has a Wi-Fi antenna on it, so it drives around and says, here the access is uh, stronger, here the access is weaker. I'm glad to uh, see that where I sleep, the, the, the Wi-Fi is the, the weakest. That's okay. I don't really want to be woken up by any messages and so on. So that's an interesting world where those Internet of Things devices don't really know what they're doing sometimes, but they're just exploring possibilities there. Uh, I also have this uh, small thing uh, that is uh, driving around my, my backyard and, uh, and clipping or trimming the grass. Um, it works with rain sensors that I, uh, that I have at home, a, a thing that I, uh, that I built uh, when I had a, uh, a bit more time. And it can actually change or increase its, uh, its mowing uh, activity uh, whenever there's, uh, there's more rain. So my wife uh, and uh, this mower both love, love gardening. Uh, my wife and this mower both uh, check weather, but this mower, it's hardcore. It checks weather practically every 10, 15 minutes to see whether it should go to the garden and, uh, and, and do the work. So it's a, it's a world where we're combining this online world with our real life. Kai Fu Lee, um, the AI expert who created or, uh, or started uh, Microsoft Research Asia that I had uh, the honor to work for uh, for a bit uh, a long time ago. Uh, Kai Fu Lee, who created uh, Google China or built Google China from scratch a while back, uh, uses the concept of on life, which is a, a mix of, of life and online. Uh, this is the world where it's very hard to tell where the boundary is. These days, you buy a cheap um, microwave oven online, and it comes with Alexa built in, you know, a device that listens to you all the time. Where does that life start and online and, and stops? And then when does, uh, does online start and stops? Um, some of us uh, will soon be training at home with devices like, uh, like those provided by Tonal, which are effectively giving you a virtual personal trainer 
uh, and the whole gym in something that looks like a flat screen TV and is uh, and can be installed on a you know properly enforced wall uh, in your house. Uh, I've had a pleasure of, of actually testing one of those. It's, it's quite impressive. One thing that this device didn't do, though, is it didn't shout at me <laughs> the way the personal trainer would. Uh, I, I asked the, uh, uh, the creators of this device whether they're going to develop an algorithm that will shout at me and make me uncomfortable when I don't... Uh, um, or, or make me want to impress the algorithm, they, they provided me with a, a very politically correct uh, answer so far. So they're staying, uh, they're being very careful in this space. However, I do strongly believe that we need to start asking questions about algorithms the way we're asking questions about humans. All right? Not suggesting that algorithms are humans, but asking those questions. Can an algorithm annoy me? Can an algorithm shout at me? Can an algorithm make me uncomfortable? So let's talk about uh, algorithms. That, that, that smiley face that is, my, that, 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 that is supposed to be suggesting that, uh, uh, that they ha they're, they're acting a bit like humans and they're making uh, decisions uh, on our behalf. An algorithm, for those of you who uh, do not have a technical background, is basically a set of instructions that is meant to be uh, executed or performed by a computer. When you talk to computer scientists, uh, they can never agree on the details of what an algorithm is, right? Go to the Wikipedia page that uh, describes uh, uh, that uh, describes algorithms and see the discussion part. Uh, it's almost a flame war, publication against publication, on what an algorithm is. But for now, it's just a process, a set of instructions that's going to be uh, um, implemented by a, or executed by a computer. When an algorithm is autonomous, it means that uh, is uh, performed by a device capable of operating without direct human control. This means that in many cases we can just let them operate or work on our behalf. And so what happens in this space? You know, you start to think about algorithms the way you think about humans. Uh, and let's look about our house and at our homes. Um, uh, we are increasingly um, finding ourselves in a space that is full of, uh, of, of algorithms. Some of them follow very, very simple processes. Some of them are trying to be a bit more sophisticated. And some of them, hopefully soon, will be doing things beyond what we're asking them to do. Uh, so I um, grouped them into three categories. The first category uh, that, um, that, that we often uh, talk about in my team are so-called hard-coded shoppers. You can buy those uh, devices, those algorithms already now. Uh, you can buy a washing machine uh, that will reorder uh, the washing powder the moment it runs low on it. Uh, when I lived in the US, you could buy not only washing machines but also dishwashers. They would come with a, a large tank for the dishwashing liquid or a washing liquid, and whenever they run low on it, they would reorder it. They would come with a small application uh, that would allow you to configure it. The application would ask you questions such as, where do you live? What is your credit card number? 
um, when do you want that delivery to be, uh, uh, to be delivered, and so on and so on. The interesting part is when you buy that washing machine or a dishwasher, it already knows who you are, where you live, and it also knows what your credit card number is because you bought it from a, a retailer such as Amazon who already has the data and can connect it to the device that you just purchased. So why do we get uh, applications like that? Because we would think it's creepy if we weren't in control. So they create a f almost a false sense of control here. They allow us to think, hey, I've configured that dishwasher, that washing machine, so now it follows my directions. Hey you don't have to configure it. It's, it's, it's already there, in, it already knows all that it needs to know. Let's watch this uh, short video to see uh, or witness another interesting issue that we might be having with, uh, with algorithms, with chatbots, with conversational commerce uh, that, is, uh, that is happening uh, or that is uh, uh, becoming available to us. Alexa, buy batteries. Amazon's choice for batteries is Amazon Basics, AA batteries, 48 pack. It's $13.60 total including tax. Would you like to buy it? No. I also found 20 pack of Amazon Basics AAA Performance Alkaline Batteries. It's $7.61 total including tax. Would you like to buy it? No. That's all I can find for batteries right now. Alright, check your Alexa app for more options. So there's nothing that unusual about a retailer taking advantage of their custody of the consumer to trade them off to a private label brand, which is what Amazon is doing here. Because when you go on the site, in fact, you do find that Alexa has more options. There are several branded batteries. It's just Alexa, without having to bother with the consumer seeing a brand or packaging, has decided to omit or let other brands just disappear from your selection set. Also, the pricing is different on Alexa and through voice commands than it is on the main platform. It seems as if they're taking advantage of this lack of transparency to charge more. We'll see. So I bet you had, or most of you had no idea that Alexa might be charging you different prices than the website when you go to it. Uh, this, is, uh, this is potentially concerning. Uh, this is something that, uh, that a number of regulators are looking into right now at this very moment. Um, uh, Europe, as always, is leading in this space and, uh, and asking the questions that are a bit uncomfortable to ask, for instance, by uh, American uh, regulators. So I'm expecting that very, very soon uh, we will start seeing uh, regulators enforcing uh, the players in that, that uh, economy of algorithm space uh, to either open up uh, and allow other players to, um, to use the devices and offer services through them or follow very, very specific rules. For instance, in informing the customers that the prices might differ depending on which channels they're, uh, they're going through. Uh, it will give rise to what I call preference-based shoppers. This will be algorithms and uh, economic agents acting on our behalf that ask us what our preferences are. These are the refrigerators that uh, I will be able to talk to and say, hey, fridge, I would like to get some milk that's uh, produced by Happy Cows, uh, that's not too expensive, uh, but also pretty cheap. Uh, that's 3.2% um, uh, fat, but I don't care about the brand. And um, the fridge 
will go on uh, uh, for a search or go for a search for a milk that I like. Uh, imagine this parallel marketplace that we cannot see, that we humans cannot see, but the devices operate uh, in, in which they'll be able to look for the best offers for the products uh, uh, that we might be interested in. Uh, a startup in New Zealand called My uh, called uh, MyWave is uh, uh, building um, all sorts of uh, agents that uh, work on our behalf. They built Frank. Frank is an agent that observes your electricity and gas bills, and whenever uh, it finds a better offer, it switches you automatically to uh, to a better provider. They also built Frank for gas and electricity providers, so they can uh, sell those products to to both parties. They're, pr they're pretty smart at it, and. In this particular case, they have uh, uh, Amy that is uh, helping individuals uh, uh, buy products such as skirts and so on based on the preferences. So effectively, it's a Siri that works. The third category of, uh, of algorithms that uh, might not be coming this year, might not be coming next year, but, but we should be expecting them sometime soon are those that are going to inspire us. And I only talked about the, the retail uh, space, but we could, we could actually apply those examples to, uh, uh, to other industries as well. So imagine a fridge that, that recognizes that uh, um, some products that I buy, I buy them because um, I'm really hoping to be a bit more relaxed, uh, you know, a, a tub of ice cream, for instance. Uh, but the fridge might realize that sending me for a run might be just as relaxing for me. So, hey, Marek, we just bought you a pair of new sneakers. Why don't you go for a run? Um, uh, at the chair in digital economy uh, here at QUT, we've been exploring the topic of proactive organization, how organizations can analyze uh, purchasing behavior of, uh, of individuals and then offer products or services based on this purchasing behavior. So it was very interesting for me to see something just two days ago uh, while we were talking about the so-called zero-click uh, um, uh, services where you can go, you don't even have to go online, some of the retailers will sell products to you um, when they believe you need them. Amazon is currently testing this in the U.S., uh, uh, some people have started receiving those boxes very, very recently, effectively last week. Uh, there are full of free samples. Um, and uh, these are uh, more of uh, a product where Amazon says, hey, we believe this is what you need. Uh, we're sending you a few free samples, so feel free to order, uh, uh, order more of them. Uh, but uh, we're expecting that it might uh, get to a point where retailers will be able, based on the understanding of the, the shopping behavior and based on the, uh, the algorithms that they're using, uh, retailers will be able to send a box of products that they are 95 97, 99% confident you're going to uh, like or buy anyways. And they might send you two boxes, one full of products, one empty. If there are some products that you don't like, you'll just put them into the empty box and send back. So this is what some of the retailers are already experimenting with. Very interesting questions for us as, uh, uh, as academics as well. How do you advertise to a fridge? How do you advertise to a fridge? Behavioral economists are trying to reverse engineer our brains. They're trying to understand what makes us uh, make particular decisions. You know, should I advertise it as 20% free or whatever else? In the same way, you can start asking a question. If that fridge is trying to find milk for Marek, 
remember, happy cows, uh, not too expensive, uh, 3.2 fat. Um, how do you respond to a fridge algorithm in such a way that it chooses you and not your competition? This is already happening. Not the fridge example, uh, but when you look at AdWords by Google, so that space where uh, uh, organizations are bidding for advertising space, this is already happening there. So we'll be seeing that expanding to, to other areas. Could you create a marketplace for algorithms? We buy phones on which we install applications. Why can't I buy a fridge on which I will install an algorithm that will choose uh, what to restock with it? Think about um, Hipstify for my fridge. It only buys products that no one else buys. Um, or um, a product for keeping feet, right? So it will only, or a, a, an algorithm for, for keeping feet. So it will only buy um, uh, products that, uh, well, make sure that I'm not getting too fat. Or perhaps the other way around, you know, how about an algorithm that makes me happy all the time? And that might include buying more of the ice cream that, that I love so much. Um, now, what happens if something goes wrong? What happens if that fridge makes me look fat? Who's responsible? Who's uh, liable for it? Is it the seller of the fridge? Is it the developer of the algorithm? So are we talking about individual uh, liability? Are we talking about organizational liability? What, uh, what are those, uh, how are we going to deal with those situations? So that's an interesting world um, uh, of those, uh, those uh, algorithms that are fully autonomous. The third part of the equation is, um, is the, the world of completely new business models. So it's, um, it's wonderful if all those devices are connected, Internet of Things. It's wonderful if they're running uh, algorithms that, uh, uh, that are very autonomous. But with just those two examples, we're basically ending up with a network for geeks, for people who just want to have technology uh, at home and want to play with, uh, with all those applications. Without proper business models, that's not going to, uh, to fly. Uh, we're exploring this space of, of what we call uh, B2A to C, so business to algorithm to customer. Business to algorithm, algorithm to customer. Uh, where uh, in business we know very well, the world, uh, very well the world of B2B and B2C, but the moment we, uh, we have an algorithm in between, an individual and an organization, uh, we're still trying to understand who owns the algorithms, in, uh, in which situations, how are they interacting, what are possible interaction scenarios. Uh, and again, and just like throughout the whole presentation today, uh, this is already happening. Here's a, uh, a, a brief summary or overview of percentage of algorithmic trading in public equities uh, markets by volume. So about 15 years ago, Already then, 15% of all the trading by volume was performed by algorithms. So remember this photo of a, or a, you know, many photos of a dealer uh, on a stock exchange floor shouting, being very nervous. This is not happening anymore. 90% of the transactions on stock exchanges are happening inside computers. This is all algorithmic. That world is already happening there. And it's a very interesting world. Um, 
uh, a while back, Dow Jones, by mistake, uh, they were testing their system and they wanted to have some uh, you know, fun messages, posted this one uh, on the Dow Jones update system. Google and Apple joined to create tech giant, right? The two companies uh, uh, combining. Obviously, for every human, you know, that sounds almost you know, impossible or ridiculous, or you, know, you would have to check it. Algorithms trust humans unconditionally. Uh, there was a dip in the stocks, happened, you know, it was very short dip, it happened for only a few minutes until algorithms realized that something's not right and humans might be lying to them. Uh, but there was a dip in the, uh, you know, in, in the stocks on both, of both Google and Apple for a few, a few minutes just because the algorithms analyzing and investing in the stocks saw this message. So I'm not sure if, ever, if anyone ever told you that, uh, but this is true. Algorithms trust us unconditionally. We can build our own alg algorithms. There's a, a system called um, uh, Quantopian uh, on which you can build your own algorithm. You can deploy it, um, and it will start investing other people's money. Uh, and you might even make some money uh, on those transactions. Um, uh, Quantopian is absolutely fantastic because they actually train developers who want to enter this space. So if you wanted to create an algorithm, uh, that's where you go. Um, highly recommend it. Um, at QUT, uh, we, we spent a bit of time working with a number of organizations uh, uh, that are relatively advanced when it comes to their business models. Uh, those that experts uh, uh, classify as so-called industry 4.0 organizations. Uh, and we managed to extract 10 new business models that uh, exist in industry 4.0 did not exist uh, in the previous evolutions of the industry. Uh, business models such as those focusing on mass customization, when you create a product, whether it's digital or physical, uh, you create uh, mass amounts of highly customized products for the customers. Lifelong partnerships, when selling a product is really just an opening of a partnership with a customer rather than, uh, than the end of it. Uh, product as a service and uh, result as a service, where uh, customers do not pay for the product itself, but for either an ability to use that product or for the outcomes of that product. So depending on the performance of the product, uh, you would pay less or more. Those uh, four specific business models out of the 10 that we've listed for Industry 4.0 are highly relevant for the economy of algorithms. So if you're an organization that is, that's exploring those space, this space, this is something to look into. So Internet of Things, autonomous uh, algorithms and new business models form the economy of algorithms. But did I uh, forget something? We often talk about uh, the, the human aspects of the economy of algorithms. And I like to, to see those, uh, those positive uh, um, aspects emerging there. Uh, recently, or a while back actually, about half a year ago, I spoke to my daughter. My daughter is eight years old. And I asked her, what does she want to do in future? She said, I want to be a wildlife carer or a manager of algorithms. I might have made up part of that uh, response, uh, but let's assume it's, uh, it, <laughs> it's true. Um, we will need people, like my daughter, in future, who will be able to say, 
well, this algorithm should not be used in this particular situation because of this and that. We need people who will be able to say, I'm hiring this algorithm and firing that algorithm. And we're already seeing many examples of those algorithms that cannot explain the decisions that they're making uh, being hired for situations where they have to explain the decisions or should explain the decisions uh, that they're making. We're seeing algorithms and robots in these very social situations. You've all seen social robots. There's a, uh, a cafe in Japan that, uh, that has those um, pepper-like robots serving uh, coffee to customers. And it looks all beautiful, but it looks even more beautiful when you look what's beyond those pictures. Namely, those robots are controlled by people who are bound to their beds, cannot leave them, and uh, can now control those robots and interact with humans in cafes. So those robots are not stealing jobs. Those robots are giving jobs to others, which, uh, which I think is absolutely beautiful. So when we think about um, the economy of algorithms and, uh, and what is happening in this space, uh, and let's imagine that it is an actual equation. I think uh, it needs to be multiplied by normalized humanity. So if you took you know, that, that love, that, uh, that excitement that, that those technologies create, and you normalize it, right, so from zero to one, um, the more it is human, the more we should be going for that economy of algorithms. You could flip this as well. You could say, you know, one uh, minus uh, however much they break our hearts, right? And uh, look, uh, you know, Facebook, you broke our hearts. Uh, you know, you shared my data without uh, my consent. Uh, TikTok, or formerly Musical.ly, you know, I've been collecting data about, uh, about children. Mattel, same story. Uber, you, you know, uh, you paid $100,000 to hackers who stole data about 50 million of your users. Equifax in the US. Google or Nest, you gave me a security device and forgot to say that there's a microphone hidden inside it. Uh, Marriott, huge data leak. Ashley Madison, right? Uh, I talk about Ashley Madison at other uh, lectures quite a lot, so feel free to join me on that. But you all broke our hearts. Um, we need to think about this human component. Um, we need to think about the, the, the humanity, the, the, the internet of things, the processes or programs, uh, another word for an algorithms, and that economic value that they create. So that's something that we need to remember so that the next time we receive an email from Amy who says, speak soon, we really want to speak soon to her. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from the IFE. To stay up to date with our podcasts, please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit us on the web at qut.edu.au forward slash IFE. And we're also on Twitter at IFE underscore QUT and also on Instagram at IFE.QUT. We really hope you enjoyed this IFE podcast.